Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. This is episode 30, guys. Holy crap. 30 of these. Uh, we've got no show dates to officially announce this time, but we do have a couple of festivals coming up in addition to our usual live shows at Dynasty Typewriter, which we're doing about four times a year. So just make sure you follow us on social media and you'll be up to date I uh, am in the middle of pitching season. Um, I was showrunner on a Netflix show uh, that's not going to be returning, so it's back to pilot development for me. Uh, the show I'm pitching is something that I would co-write uh, with this team of three guys, and I'm really excited about it. And I was talking to my sister, who lives in Idaho and is very much not in show business, uh, about it, and she was just like, "So you have to go through the whole process again from the beginning." And I said, "Yeah, you know, I have to pitch the idea to the studio and get them on board, and then pitch the networks and hopefully sell it somewhere, and then get story documents and outlines approved, and write ten drafts of a pilot script and hope that gets picked up to shoot. And if it does, then produce the pilot and uh, hope that it gets on the air." Which all sounded really depressing to her but somehow it didn't to me even though it kind of is and I was wondering why and I guess it's A because I'm genuinely excited about the idea and B because barely any part of me is thinking about the show getting on TV at this point I'm focused on making a great pitch uh, you know, I've pitched dozens of shows, but it's not something that ever really becomes a formula. I mean, I don't know how to pitch in the sense of like, I don't know that there's one way to pitch that works in every situation. So each show has to teach you how to pitch it. So I'm focused on that. And if I'm lucky enough to, that we sell it, then I'll be focused on the outline. And then I'll be focused on writing a great script. And I really just focus on whatever the next step is and don't ever think about the ultimate goal. And it's not because I'm saying I'm some Zen master. It's because it's literally the only way my brain knows how to survive this process and, and make the process even somewhat enjoyable. You can't just focus on the big win at the end. You know, I tell people who are going through this, maybe it's their first time going through it, you know, don't save the champagne for when your show gets on the air because you're probably never going to drink champagne that way. You know, drink it when you sell the pitch or when your outline is approved or any of those small victories along the way. You can always buy another bottle if the show actually gets on TV. But if you wait for that, you just probably are not going to drink at all. I mean, assuming you even like champagne, which I could take or leave. Uh, our dead pilot this time is from the wonderful Morgan Murphy. Morgan is a stand-up uh, she's written for Two Broke Girls, for Crank Yankers, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Downward Dog, and Roseanne. The pilot's called Talk Nerdy to Me. Uh, our cast for this one was uh, Lauren Lapkus from Orange is the New Black and Crashing as Harper, uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste from Killing Eve. Uh, so good if you guys haven't seen that. Uh, she plays Maddie. Elizabeth Ho from Disjointed as Ruth. Aparna Nancherla from Corporate and her brilliant stand-up as Jesse. Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as Robbie Curse. Scott MacArthur from The Mick as Nick. 
uh, Sam Richardson from Veep and Detroiters as Walsh. Gary Anthony Williams from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a million other animated shows uh, as both Anthony and the Science Guy voice. And Janina Gavankar from True Blood as Hector uh, and Robbie's assistant. So here's my live interview with Morgan from the stage at Dynasty Typewriter, followed by the live read. And stay tuned after the read for a longer chat I had with Morgan about the writing process, which is a really fun conversation. Thank you to my co-host Ben Blacker and my great assistant Noah Findling for all their work, especially their help, both of them, in putting this great cast together. Uh, Keep in mind when you're listening to this that when I'm reading the stage directions about halfway through uh, about porn and uh, various porn subgenres, that my 11-year-old twins were in the second row of the audience, and it was super awkward for me. Anyway, here's Talk Nerdy to Me after a brief message. Hi, it's me, Ben Blacker. I'm the co-producer and frequent co-host of this podcast, Dead Pilot Society, which is an absolute joy for me. So thanks, Andrew, for letting me do this with you. And thank you, listener, for listening to it. Um, This is an ad, but it's for something that is near and dear to my heart. So I hope you will indulge me. Um, I have written this new comic book. It's called Hex Wives, and it's coming out on Halloween from DC Vertigo, uh, DC Comics, the Vertigo imprint. Um, So it's non-superhero stuff. Hexwives is the first book I've written by myself uh, without a partner in like 15 years. It's the first thing I've written without a partner in 15 years. And that is terrifying. And it's been really rewarding. Um, Hexwives is about... Here's here's the soft pitch. Uh, What if Samantha Stevens from Bewitched didn't know that she were a powerful witch and was being held as a suburban housewife against her will. Uh, that's sort of what the book is about. That was the the sort of jumping off point for the book. Uh, it's also about the insidious ways that men control women. Uh, so the first arc, the first six issues is uh, are about our lead character and her friends who are this coven of witches discovering that they are indeed a coven of witches and then tearing down the patriarchy. If this is appealing to you, um, please pre-order Hexwives. Uh, I'm learning as I do more comic books how important pre-orders are. They can sort of make or break a book. And I want to do 100 issues of this book. I love living in this world. I love working with my editors. I love working with my artist and my colorist. They are really elevating every single aspect of this book. Um, The way to do pre-orders is very easy. You call up your local comic book shop and say, I would like to pre-order Hexwives, and then they will order it for you, and then you go in on Halloween, which is when it comes out, and you pick it up. It's $4. If you don't know where your local comic book shop is, if you're not a regular comic book reader, and I think this is the kind of book that would appeal to non-regular comic book readers, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code, and it'll tell you where your local comic store is. I have used this when I'm on vacation. I'm not proud, but... Uh, I like to get my comics, and I didn't want to wait around for them. Uh, so I've used comicshoplocator.com to find a local comic book store to me. Um, so I would ask you, uh, I would implore you to do that for Hexwives. Call up your local comic shop, ask them for a copy, tell them you're excited about it, and uh, they'll hold it for you. And once again, it's out on Halloween. Um, I thank you for indulging me. Thanks for checking out the book. I really hope you will. And thanks for listening to Dead Pilot Society. 
Beginning this summer, you can listen to new episodes of Inside Pop every other week for an even deeper dive inside the world of pop culture. Now, we're still bringing you our brilliant insight, always on the nose opinions, and insidery inside information on the most interesting pop culture stories of the week. And we'll also have interviews with the pop culture professionals who create the culture you crave. For example, we'll speak to casting directors about how they find the right talent for the right role. We'll talk to music supervisors about how they choose the music to create the right mood. And we'll grill producers who'll discuss what exactly a producer does. Oh man, Sean, how many times has someone said to you, oh, you're a producer, so what do you actually do? So many times. (laughs) Same here. So make sure to catch Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun to indulge your pop culture obsessions. And to hear in-depth interviews from the movers and the shakers in TV, music, film, and more. So we're going to be reading your pilot, uh, Talk Nerdy to Me, so tell us... Who'd you sell this show to? Uh, it was uh, the Warner Brothers, uh, CBS. I was were working on um, Two Broke Girls, uh, sort of deep into that run, and they were kind enough to, uh, they sort of teamed me up with Bill Rubel. If you know Bill Rubel, the wonderful Bill Rubel supervised this. It was sort of an earlier pilot I'd written. And uh, yeah, and it's... Uh, it was like one of those uh, things that I didn't have much to do with, but it was sort of, it was Jerry Bruckheimer, his company involved, and, uh, you know, all the things that uh, are needed for people to go, this is going to make it. And uh, and uh, it was uh, fun and great. And tell, them, tell them, and just briefly describe, give us a log line for the uh, pilot. You know, I think the easiest way, if you're going to, this, this is a, a way that I, I don't uh, want to talk, but I'll say it is if you if someone was like, hey, what about a, a lady Big Bang kind of a show? But then you take that idea and you go, uh, how do I make that uh, different and interesting and um, and more like the the women I know uh, in my life? And so it's very much inspired by like my friends who I think are cool and kind of nerds, but also like not uh, cartoonish nerds, just like oh, they have like their own set of skills and don't necessarily. Uh, wrap everything around dudes and stuff. So that kind of, that kind of nerd. A, a responsible woman. Is that a nerd? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the definition. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I, when someone said to me, they said, "Oh, it's a female Big Bang," but I think it's 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 even cooler than that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it all characters. came through, and, and and I have to obviously shout out Jen Friel, who wrote this blog called Talk Nerdy to Me, and it all sort of stemmed down uh, from there and that idea. But I just loved the idea of writing. I always wanted to write a female ensemble similar to like all the girls I lived with in, you know, in college and and years after and, you know, interesting, interesting weirdos, basically. And there were, I know when we sent it to you, you looked through the many drafts. The many drafts. And I was like, uh, screw it, uh, just circle one and send it. And, you know, you go through like, uh, you know, these this process where, you know, I think I sent you a draft and then I sent you a new draft. And you were like, oh, I like the beginning better of this one. And I was like, you don't like the end? Like, I got, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I know, you, I feel like I just, you know, I invited you to do this so I could immediately insult you. And say, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't like the opening of that, but this, but this opening It is, is good. weird to go back and look at stuff because you're like, oh, I hope it makes sense. I hope it's uh, it, you know, obviously there are things that are not going to be uh, super current. Um, you know, it's uh, filled with racist joke. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, uh, no, I think, I hope it's cute and fun and I hope people uh, like it. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sitting back there, by the way, in the back. So if you're around me, like, you know, and you don't like it, just, you know, I don't know, text someone instead of whispering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's get to it. Thank you. 
This is Talk Nerdy to Me by Morgan Murphy. Act one, the cold open. We're exterior of Venice Street in the morning. A squad of four dorky but cute, somewhat disheveled women enter the frame and walk down the street. They're all wearing some version of what could be pajamas. They are Harper, diminutive, shy, peering out of her hoodie like a mouse, looking to see if it's safe to scoot across a floor. Maddie, determined, confident, ready for a fight in a cheap business suit that's a little too big. Ruth, barely five feet tall, Korean-American, feisty, in a Berkeley sweatshirt and doctor scrubs. And Jesse, a skeptical free spirit in a beanie, a vintage Dodger shirt, and sweatpants. We catch them in the middle of a typical discussion. Those two, no chance. She's super intense, he's got a crazy family, that relationship is doomed. Why do you have to be such a cynic all the time, Jesse? What do you have against romance? Jesse smiles and puts her arm back around Maddie. I just don't see any proof that it exists. Like God or gluten allergies. I'm with Jesse. That wedding is a bigger mistake than every Olympic mascot. I never said wedding. I only said Katniss Everdeen and Harry Potter to make a cute couple. Even if they made it to the altar, no way she takes his name. Katniss Everdeen is a District 12 badass who destroyed a corrupt society. Katniss Potter sounds like a mom with an Etsy shop. I don't like that our coffee place moved. I didn't mentally prepare for the extra five blocks. Yeah, well, it was a matter of time. It was parked in a 15-minute loading zone for two years. They arrive at a cool coffee truck parked near a spin gym. The garage door of the gym is open, and spinning bikes face the street. A man in the coffee truck, Hector, waves. Over here, I got your coffee, girls, and your hot chocolate. Harper, I love this order ahead app you told me about. One of our friends from college invented it. He has a submarine now. Hmm. Jesse, Ruth, and Maddie grab a coffee off the truck window. Have you considered my idea yet? I'm not changing this into a weed and froyo delivery chuck. Thank you, Jesse. Hey, I'm just looking out, froyo. <laughs> Ruth, who can barely reach the window, stands on her tippy toes and hands her coffee back to Hector. Yo, Hector, can I get three more shots of espresso in this? I had to perform surgery, and Mama was at the Soho house till whenever Terrence Howard left. Nick, a cute guy, charming if not a little dumb, approaches the girls. You know, exercise works as a natural energy boost if you ever want to come over to my side. I own that spin gym. That's a gym? I thought that was a bike store that never sold any bikes. <laughs> I thought it was really hard AA. I'm Nick, and you're funny and cute. You should come to my gym one day. I'll give you and your friends a free ride. Thanks, Nick, but we're not really gym people, and I don't like the idea of pedaling for an hour and going nowhere. It's too heavy a metaphor. Mm. Yeah, then have a drink with me. I know the owner of uh, Bar Blue. Neat. She turns to Maddie. How do you say I'm not interested in Gyllenhaal? There is no word for I'm not interested in Gyllenhaal. There's also no word for toilet plunger in Chinese. They call it the thing that clears the toilet. I like smart girls. My last girlfriend typed so fast. <laughs> cool. I always feel bad watching guys hit on Jesse. It's like watching a puppy try and get a toy out from under the bed. She dated that guy who went on the ski trip with us freshman year, and he was hot, I think. Oh, he was my anthropology professor, and he got fired for going with us on that trip. Nick, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to flirt. How about I'll give you my number if you can name one artist who could have created this latte art. Michelangelo, Leonardo, Donatello. Splinter? <laughs> they stare at him. 
I'm joking. Come on. I know the names of a lot of great artists. Name one who isn't a Ninja Turtle and you can sleep with all of us. Drake? <laughs> Bye, Nick. The girls turn. Nick watches them walk away, charmed. I do love me some Drake, though. Everyone lifts their drinks to their mouths as we pull away. Slowly, they walk back down the street, a la Reservoir Dogs. We see Harper has a whipped cream mustache. A title card fills the screen. Talk nerdy to me. End of cold open. We're in scene A. It's a in, we're interior living room, a shabby, bohemian, but utterly charming, warm and inviting, homey bungalow on the Venice canals. The living room is light and airy, simultaneously cozy and chaotic. There's an upright piano against the wall. Various other musical instruments are strewn about, a couple of guitars, a gourd, a saxophone, also computer parts, IV gurneys, and a giant flat-screen TV. Maddie, wearing an Oculus virtual reality headset with haptic handsets, is in the living room in a spinning office chair. Harper sits nearby at a laptop. Maddie spins herself in a circle, experiencing a virtual simulation. Harper, this is amazing. The haptic interface levels are perfect. You're a genius. I know. Mom had me tested when I was six, remember? Mm -hmm. That's because you were helping her with her law school homework. Anyway, this virtual classroom is going to change the world. We're going to bring education to places that need it. Villages in Africa, war zones in Syria, Detroit. Detroit is the only city in America where you can look south at Canada. Wow. Oh. Maybe our first attempt didn't go great, but today we are going to sell this bitch. We're, we'll be rich and powerful with matching Teslas and assistants who are older than us. Will we have Hanson sodas? Because our job now has Hanson sodas. Of course, whatever you want. She hands the headset to Harper and indicates the VR simulation. Will you take one last look at the front of the administration building when you walk onto the campus? I feel like the transition isn't perfect. Jesse enters from the kitchen with a bucket of tar and a brush. No transition is perfect, except for that woman on the corner who used to be our deli guy. She's stunning. <laughs> Are you high? A little. Smoked a smidge in the shower, but that's not the big news. I finally did it! Oh, finished that song about the cartoon koala for that kid's show? No, I fixed the rowboat who wants to get some Mike's hard lemonade and go on a morning booze cruise. You fixed Leaky? I watched a YouTube video on small craft repair, and now she's seaworthy. Jesse, you are a musical genius. You wrote three albums worth of gorgeous songs about a guy who gave you a biscotti on a bus in Holland. You, can, you can't write one song about a koala? I'm talking about saving the boat that nearly took us all down last month. If we had been more than three feet from shore, it could have been an unprecedented disaster. That was one way to learn that the American black-bellied duck is surprisingly vicious. Jess, I know you have mixed feelings about writing these children's songs. By mixed feelings, you mean a combination of I don't want to and nah. -uh. Uh, yeah, but it's how you make, I know you hate this word, but money. Need I remind you I'm a landowner? You are standing on my land. Because you inherited a house. When I tell people where we live, they always say, I would die to live in the Venice Canals. And I say, well, my mom did. <laughs> I don't think I like that joke. But everybody likes a leisurely sail past Jeff Probst's house. And okay, you talked me into it. I'll row today. We can't. Harper and I got a call. We have a meeting this morning with Robbie Hearse. Curse. Awesome. Love Robbie Curse. Who's Robbie Curse? One of the biggest tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Beach. I will never call our neighborhood Silicon Beach. It's such a pretentious name for a place where people urinate while rollerblading. <laughs> <laughs> 
I worry about you, honey. I mean, where do you want to go in life? Anywhere? I told you I want to go on a morning booze cruise. And later, I'm giving a lesson as part of my thriving guitar teaching business. You have one student, and he's very likely homeless. Walsh isn't homeless. He just wears sandals, and he's over 50. It looks the same. Maybe I'm not ambitious like you guys, but I kind of have everything I need. I've got my friends, I've got my mom's old rowboat, and anytime I want, I can go to the boardwalk and guess where tourists are from based on their weight. If Robbie Curse buys our software, we're on our way. Forget rowboats, we'll have yacht money. I thought the whole idea was to give back and do something good for the world. Yeah, in order to give back, you have to have. You know why Mark Zuckerberg is donating $45 billion to the cause of human advancement? Because he has $50 billion. Just then, Ruth enters, exhausted but hurried, wearing doctor scrubs and carrying an almost real Louis Vuitton overnight bag. Where have you been? I just remembered that I was worried about you. I was worried too. I was the one who suggested sending a you okay text. Jesus' friends didn't yell at him when he came back after three days, but okay. Jesus was dead? Last I saw on Snapchat, you were getting free drunk in a pharmaceutical company suite at the Beyonce concert. Ruth starts unpacking her laptop and getting to work. Went to the concert, then went to work, then home, then back to work, then a party, then to work, then here, where I have to work. Because while you guys are stuck in virtual reality, I have a case from an actual reality that's baffling all the doctors. If I crack it, I'll win big time brownie points. And why practice medicine if not for the winning of stuff? <laughs> Don't judge. Just because I save lives doesn't mean I can't be ambitious. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to research rare heart defects. And Jesse, please don't guess. Knowing a little bit about everything does not make you a doctor. Oh, I know. Marfan syndrome. It's not Marfan syndrome. You always think it's Marfan syndrome. Jesse looks at an MRI scan on Ruth's laptop. That aortic valve degeneration, though. <laughs> Fine, uh, I'll do my own work at my desk. Jesse sits down at an upright piano. Maddie spins Harper in the chair as Harper reaches for imaginary objects. And Ruth hyper-navigates ever-increasing browser windows. One koala song coming right up. Koala, koala, I love you, koala. Well, I tried. <laughs> Did you? Maddie and Ruth share a look. Are you two sharing one of your famous when is Jesse gonna get her crap together looks? You're crazy. I'm crazy? You're crazy. Jesse starts tinkering with the keys to the tune of Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. She improvises a song about her friends. You are all crazy. My roommates are crazy. They think that I'm lazy. I miss Patrick Swayze. My roommates are crazy. I'm not your roommate. Even Ruth, who doesn't technically live here. <laughs> And we cut to scene B. We're interior tech company offices. A female assistant about the girl's age leads Harper and Maddie into an ultra-cool office adorned with framed articles and magazine covers about the company and its CEO, Robbie Kurse. There's a digital interactive smart board displaying the company's 360-degree logo spinning continuously. Robbie flew his drone through a bank window across the street, but he should be right in. Can I get you two some water while you wait? Um, do you have Hanson's soda? We have Pellegrino. Harper turns to Maddie. You said they would have... Uh, yeah, okay. Oh. That's fine, that's fine. 
I'll take the water and she'll be fine. Okay. Okay, we'll just get some on the way home, okay? I promise. This is already starting very poorly. I don't want to work here. Can we leave? No. This company, spe specifically Robbie Curris, funded some of the biggest startups in VR over the past five years. We're lucky to be sitting here. There's no such thing as luck. Even chance is tricky. When we don't know which laws that are operative or the conditions under which those laws are working, then randomness ensues. But not luck. It's never luck. Yeah. I think I read that on an inspirational poster at the mall. Uh, please forgive me. I'm, uh, I'm never late. I had a slight incident with a new toy. Uh, all is well. Uh, listen, um, send some flowers to Blair Kaplan at Cedars. She's getting stitches. And tell the hospital, just, just bill me. All right, let's get down to business. Um, I love you. Why? <laughs> because you're geniuses. I tested out your classroom simulation and it is some of the best VR work I have ever seen. The haptic interface is perfect. Harper, proud but bashful, slumps down into her chair, kind of smiling. Um, we modulated the haptics to increase sensitivity and accuracy. Well, Harper did, technically. Good. 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 So you two are a team? Uh, yeah, we're yeah, also I sisters. That's great. Sisters? Oh, you're, ki you're kidding me. You're brilliant, you're, you're beautiful, and you're sisters. You're black, she's white. It's nuts. <laughs> That's great. No, I'm, I'm blown away. Yeah. Really. Okay, well, we were both adopted. We have a bunch of siblings. Everyone's from a different country. We were basically the original Jolie Pitts before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Everyone in our town thought we were a cult. Oh. That's amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Look, um, I'm, not, I'm not holding my cards to my chest. I want to work with you. Okay, there. There are my cards. Wow. Really? That sounds incredible, doesn't it, Harper? I don't like how this chair feels. No, like, here, mm -hmm. take my chair. No, no, take my chair, please. Take, no, take this no, chair. No, that's okay. She doesn't, she doesn't need to. She, she doesn't take the chair. chair. No, she doesn't need the chair. Robbie almost forces Harper to sit in his chair. Harper settles in. What do you think? Want to work here now? Harper looks at Robbie's computer screen. Are you watching a live feed of the space station? That's my favorite show. <laughs> yep, sure am. Yeah, I got a few pals up there right now. One is doing a year in the... Scott uh, Kelly, 342 days in space station. The longest consecutive stay in orbit by a NASA astronaut. Yes. Yep, yeah, he's a golf buddy. I do some, uh, sub, I do some subcontracting for NASA. So. What about Mark Kelly, his brother? They're the only twins to become astronauts in the history of space exploration. Uh-huh, yeah, know them both. You want to meet them? Harper's mouth is agape. She's at a loss for words. Yeah. Yeah? Who do you want to meet, Maddie? Uh, I want to meet the person who's going to give me, who's, gonna, who's going to give me the foundation to run a multi-billion dollar company that changes the world for the better. So no Ed Sheeran? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love the ambition. I really do. I, I think we can do this. Look, I want to start an entirely new VR production wing, and I want you guys to run it. What do you think? Sounds promising. Good. Now, there's only one catch. Well, it's not so much a catch as a sort of an opportunity. Let's call it a... Well, that is, that, well it is also a catch. You know what? Let's call it a catch-opportunity. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Robbie heads to the smart boards and wipes the logo off the screen. As he's about to write, we cut to scene D, a hospital cafeteria. Jesse in the classic 70s, I'm so happy I could just shit t-shirt, and overalls is in a cafeteria checkout line with her tray. Ruth in hospital scrubs races in. What's up? Maddie sounded more stressed out than usual. I mean, who uses the word imperative in a group text? 
Jesse steps up in line. A cute African-American guy, uh, Anthony, with week, the weekend hair, is entering their items on the register. I know. Even her emojis are uptight. What's up, Anthony? Can I get in on Ruth's doctor discount? Have I ever said no? Hey, uh, pipe fitters of Sacramento Credit Union debit card? Great cashback benefits. Hard to find an ATM, but it should work. Yeah, how's it going today, ladies? Better now that I've seen you. <laughs> doctor, doctor, you have just earned yourself an orange. <laughs> Anthony, in a jokey, overtly sexual way, hands Ruth an orange <laughs> from a bowl at the cashier stand. <laughs> Aw, he doesn't want you to get scurvy. Anthony hands Jesse a receipt. Ruth turns back as she and Jesse walk away. Bye, Anthony. Bye, Ruru. The girls smile and make their way to a nearby table. A pregnant brunette woman in a hospital robe is pushed past them in a wheelchair by a male nurse. A beat later, a brunette woman in a hospital robe holding a baby passes them in a wheelchair pushed by a male nurse in the opposite direction. Wow, that was fast. <laughs> I don't know why you always want to eat here. It's a hospital cafeteria. With the best chicken soup in LA, so keep it on the low low. Sooner or later, this place will blow up and it'll be all Persian guys hitting on blonde chicks at the salad bar. A pretty Indian doctor sits down at a semi-nearby table. Ugh, Dr. Hazarika. She thinks she's smart because she won the National Spelling Bee 15 years ago. Jessie slyly types on her phone. She's so pretty. Not really, though. Kind of basic. Eudaimonic. What? That's what she won with, eudaimonic, pertaining or conducive to happiness. Oh, what a bitch. <laughs> She's consulting on this cardiology case, too. Girl, if she wins, I will die. If you do, tell my mom in heaven how good I've gotten at closing the refrigerator. <laughs> Your mom was so cool. Yeah. Uh-oh, Maddie looks frenzied. Better put my phone away. Maddie and Harper approach Ruth and Jesse. We need to talk. Phone's down. Jesse gives Ruth a told-you look. I just want to start by saying it was great meeting, and Mr. Kirsch is very charming and surprisingly eloquent. He wants us to make porn. Please tell me he said he wants you to make corn, because that's a respectable job. Everyone loves corn. No. CGI virtual porn. It's exactly on the cutting edge of the VR economy. No surprise, look at the internet. The first thing people want to do with new technology is screw it up. Or just screw it. Look, you can't do it. Porn is so degrading to women. The porn I watch sure is. I thought, <laughs> I thought we were feminists. I thought we were a squad of strong, independent, powerful women, like Taylor Swift and her friends if they had a 19th century Russian literature book club. Look, if Harper and I make this deal, we will be very independent and very powerful. We'll be able to stand on our own in the world. Yes, while perpetuating societal chauvinism and normalizing female indignity. From your yacht, but still. What do you think, Ruth? Philosophically, is it okay to take this high-paying job with the goal of using it as a springboard to create beneficial content? You don't need to over-explain to me. You need to get that money, girl. Get it. Make it rain on you haters. Mm. <laughs> Ruth does the make it rain motion with her hands. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with Ruth, and not just because she's dancing her answer. Ruth continues to make it rain. Okay, please, please stop making it rain on my face. There's something else that kind of complicates it even more. More than asking two smart, ambitious women to set their gender back to the Neolithic age? The VR part of his company is also in Palo Alto. We'd have to move. This news hits them all hard. They sit with it a beat. 
What? That's tragic. I know, I'd miss you too. But it's getting a little too personal for Jesse. No, I just mean having to live so near a school that waitlisted you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, I got into Stanford. <laughs> and we end act one. Act two, scene E, we're interior living room. Harper sits in front of a laptop that is being mirrored on the large TV. Maddie, Ruth, and Jesse hover over her shoulder. We see what they are looking at on the screen. A search browser is open. Okay, Harper. You know, I always try to protect you, but some of this might be a little Just click rough. on something. You guys got to do the research to make your decision. How are you going to create porn if Harper's never had sex or watched people having sex? Maddie reaches over and starts typing. I don't know where to start. You porn, porn tube, view porn. If you're a Matt Damon fan, there's the porn ultimatum. <laughs> Maddie types in porntube.com in the search window. But be careful, Harper's more fragile, she's younger. Unlike us, she didn't get a year of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> a page appears with different categories of porn listed, interracial, gay, solo, POV, etc. I don't get what the big deal is. I'll just watch this and... Harper mm. scrolls and almost <laughs> clicks on gangbang. All the girls try to stop her. No, 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 no not that one, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. no. Pace yourself, girl. You can't jump right in from no sex into the crazy stuff. You're not a recently divorced middle-aged woman. Why isn't there a site for regular style sex? Something you could watch with the whole family. Tell that to your guy at the porn company. It's not a porn company. Robbie Curse is a visionary whose viral cyber marketing penetrated China. Bad choice of words. More like bad choice of potential careers. You guys make pioneering educational software that he wants to use to generate erections. What about teacher porn? That sounds educational. Ooh, I love teacher porn. Ruth Mimes backing that thing up a little on the couch. I'm just going to check this out. Harper clicks on the teacher-student category and a video buffers then plays. A female student, late 30s, heavily made up in pigtails and a sexy Catholic schoolgirl uniform, sits at a desk sucking on a lollipop. A teacher, a 50-year-old bad actor with a goatee, approaches her. I know what's going to happen. She's going to get in trouble for eating candy in class. That happened to me once at science camp. See? She can write this stuff in her sleep. The, the door opens and a somewhat disheveled man, Walsh, enters with a guitar case. Oh, God. Walsh! Take Turn it off! Roof. The girls, except Ruth, keep pressing buttons. A pinwheel spins on the screen. Oh, it's not responding. It's stuck. So is that teacher. Walsh pulls the plug on the TV as Maddie shuts the laptop. Uh, I've walked in on people having sex, but I've never walked in on people watching sex, which might be slightly more awkward. I'm sorry. We were doing research. Uh, while that's always a no-fail excuse in the eyes of the law, you don't need to defend yourself. I'm the one who walked in unannounced. No, I told you to. Then I forgot you were coming. In any case, did you practice any of the Jimmy Buffett songs we worked on? You're just going to go into a regular conversation about that? <laughs> I like to move right past the uncomfortable stuff. You guys know that. Maddie's phone rings and she exits to answer it. Sorry, Walsh. See, Maddie and Harper were offered a job making VR porn and Harper has never watched porn, so... To quote something Hillary Clinton once co-opted, it takes a village. Am I the only one who wanted to see the end of that video? Maddie re-enters. Okay, coming in with a good news, bad news scenario, you guys. And Walsh, I guess. That was Robbie Curse. He's doubling his offer. He wants us more than any teacher. He's <laughs> He wants us more than that teacher wanted that 39-year-old student. <laughs> bad news? Nuh-uh. That news has shamani dance written all over it. Ruth starts to do the shamani dance. 
We're talking big house money, not the tacky house next door, but think smaller and more inland. For the first time, Jesse's worried. Wait, you're really thinking about taking the job and moving? I don't know. I don't know what to do, and I hate it. My entire life, there's been this voice inside saying, go this way, Maddie. Go that way, Maddie. I know. It's like you were born with ways. Right, but now I'm, I'm stuck between... What's the new rock and hard place? Car seat and console? Oh, yes, we need to take a drive. Bad oh, idea. absolutely not. Please. No. Why do you guys hate driving with me? Because you're a bad driver and a worse passenger. When we took that road trip to Carmel, I came this close to crating you. <laughs> We're not getting in the car. I have an idea that's better for the environment and won't end with us almost pushing you into the shark tank at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And we cut to the scene G. We're at the spin gym later that day. Ruth, Maddie, Jesse, and Harper sit on spin bikes in the gym while Nick clicks his feet into his instructor bike, which is facing the girls. They're the only ones in the class. Nick wears a mic'd headset, and when he speaks, his voice is amplified through speakers. Why are we here again? Besides lowering our risk of diabetes, breast and colon cancers, exercise is scientifically proven to enhance thinking, learning, and judgment skills. Hot Nick said we could come in here for free. Being physically fit solves so many of life's problems. Free our minds, free our bodies, so we can focus on the opportunities right in front of us. <laughs> Nick smiles at Jessie. She turns her head to see who he's smiling at. Wow, he really likes her. I know, that's a smile only his mirror gets before he says, go get him, tiger. Okay, who's ready for the ride of their life? Let's do this! Nick clicks on his iPod, and she's kind of hot. A bland pop song starts. I said I would come here, but I didn't say I'd endure five seconds of summer. Uh, what? Yeah, well, I got more songs. It's cool. Just start pedaling slowly like you're learning to ride a bike. And... The girls pedal as Nick clicks his iPod again. Another song, Buggin' by the Trap Duo, tonight starts. I can't. I'm sorry. You have very bad taste in music. Jesse tries to get off the bike. I'm stuck! We're all stuck, Jesse. You have to write that song about a wisecracking marsupial. Ruth has to solve a medical mystery. And Harper and I have a huge decision to make that can affect all of our lives. No, I mean my feet are stuck. I can't get out. I'm trapped. And there's trap music playing. It's a trap trap. <laughs> Just let Jesse pick the song. I'm starting to sweat downtown near the meatpacking district. <laughs> Je Jesse takes her phone out of her pocket. Nick unclicks easily from his bike and hops off. Just plug in my phone and click on that playlist called Party All Night. Nick grabs Jesse's phone, hops back on his bike, and effortlessly clicks back in. He starts to plug in Jesse's phone. Mm, keep pedaling, ladies, and remember, your body hears everything your mind says. <laughs> so my body just heard me say there are 87 tiles on the ceiling? D uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, track one of Party All Night, just for Jesse. Ooh, you have a boyfriend. Nick smiles at Jesse and keeps eye contact as he presses play. Just then, a somber British voice begins to speak. In 1687, Isaac Newton formulated his law of universal gravitation. <laughs> cool song, Jess. The track continues over the girls talking. You really want to work out to a guy talking? If I have to be here, I'd like to learn something besides how to get an ass that won't quit. The girls pedal as the voice speaks in the background. Einstein realized Newton had left something out. How does the sun, 93 million miles away, reach out over inert space to exert its influence? The medium that transmits gravity is space itself. 
Has she heard this before? She's heard everything before. Einstein theorized that the medium that transmits gravity is space itself. I can get into this. Yeah, go Einstein. Figure out that space stuff. This is cool. <laughs> Jesse laughs reluctantly at Nick's attempt to play along. <laughs> you do not think this is cool. <laughs> it's different. That's cool to me. Hot Nick has layers like the Earth's crust or a parfait. Jesse, you do love parfaits. If there is matter, then it causes space to warp. The curve in space communicates the force of gravity. Oh, come on. Where's my epiphany? Yo, it's not like an orgasm, Madge. You just can't have it out of anger. <laughs> Harper, what do you think? It is a lot of money. I'll do it if you want to do it. No, you have to want this. I can't make the decision for you this time. It's not like when I order for you at sushi. This is life-changing. Why do you even want your life to change? Earlier today, a guy walked in on us watching porn. Who wants to move away from that? <laughs> Honey, it's a big opportunity. It's not about wanting to. It's about having to. I try and live my life without having to do anything, especially laundry. German physicist Theodore Kaluza wondered, was it possible there were more dimensions in space? It is possible. The Kaluza-Klein theory showed us this extra dimension. There are multiple genetic mutations. We didn't look. What are you thinking about, Ruth? What's motivating your ride? I'm thinking... Why does a 13-year-old boy present with LDL in the 85th percentile with no xanthalasma or corneal arcus? Because there are dimensions we didn't see. He's homozygous, not heterozygous. I'm open-minded to all that stuff. I voted for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Ruth jumps off her bike. I have to go to the hospital. Thanks, Nick. Ruth exits. Jesse, Maddie, and Harper continue to pedal. Consider a vital precursor to string theory. I gotta go, too. Did you figure out your koala song? Is everyone just having physics-inspired epiphanies now? Because I'm sure as hell not. No, I forgot Walsh at the house. He went to pee and we left. <laughs> Bye, Nick. Jesse runs out, leaving Maddie and Harper pedaling on the bicycles. You know, I, I think she's starting to like me. <laughs> and we cut to scene H. We're in the living room later that day. Jesse is sitting on the couch... And Walsh is sitting on a nearby stool, both playing an acoustic guitar. Jesse plays a chord perfectly, then Walsh repeats it poorly. They do the same thing again and again. You're getting good. Well, I'm definitely holding the guitar with more swagger than it was two weeks ago. <laughs> and you're saying stuff like swagger, which is very rock and roll. I'd call this lesson a victory. Jesse starts to put down her guitar. Your friends are nice, you know? That Maddie's a pistol. I like what you got going on here. Well, what I got going on here is probably not long for this world. I think Maddie and Harper are going to move out. Ruth will come by till she gets a job at a different hospital. Then it'll just be me and my cats in the memory of a 10-year friendship. You have cats? I'll have to when I live alone, right? Isn't that the rule? Uh, college friends are the best. Uh, one of the great memories of my life is driving eight hours through the snow with my buddies to see Phil Collins. I was totally with you until the words Phil Collins... When I was a sophomore, my mom died. They all took care of me. Jesse maybe, thinks for a beat then. Maybe I'm crazy because the reality is we have almost nothing and we've achieved almost nothing, but I feel like life is never gonna get better than this. Is it weird to feel nostalgic for something that isn't over yet? I'm nostalgic for everything, all the time. 
I get nostalgia for things that haven't happened yet. Just then Ruth barges in. Kill the game, not the patient. That's what I always say, and that's what I just did. So you won your medical contest? <laughs> Let's just say the look on Dr. Hazarika's face when I said homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia was worth every penny I still owe in student loans. Congratulations, doctor. Thank you, Walsh. I'm still not sure why you're not... If, thank you, Walsh. I'm still not sure you're not going to kill us all. No, that's probably my cue to head out. Walsh searches through his pockets for money. He starts handing Jesse crumpled up $1 bills. I'm sorry. As you know, I'm not a big cash guy. Yeah, I'm sure that's enough. I think we agreed on one handful of money. <laughs> Just then, Maddie and Harper enter, sweaty. Where were you guys? The bayou in July? We kept spinning, waiting for a moment of clarity. Instead, I got a wedgie I can only describe as embedded. Why is he still here? I was just about to walk home. You live in Venice? Like, on a beach or, or a van with a kitchen? No offense, but you don't look like a guy who had a ton of options when you got out of bed this morning. I live next door, actually. Uh, the house you called Obnoxious Modern? That's like a $20 million house. Not that I read about it on, a, on LA Curved or anything, but I know you beat Sam Smith for it. Wait, you're not homeless? Well, well I'm retired. Uh, we're as tan as the homeless without eating out the garbage cans. You know, I used to run some businesses in the Bay Area. Now I do nothing. Actually, that's not true. Yesterday I made a banh mi sandwich. So you're rich? Very. From tech money? Yes. Then why are you in our house? I saw Jesse's flyer at the coffee truck. <laughs> I saw Jesse's flyer at the coffee truck. Uh, I've never turned off one of those tabs before, but I was debating between learning guitar or buying the clippers, and this felt closer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Walsh's fascinating life aside, Robbie Curse leaves for Bali at 5 p.m. He says he's calling me for an answer before he goes into island mode. Don't you know what the answer should be? I know you think it shouldn't be anything that involves change. What is your obsession with change? I'm not obsessed with change, Jesse, but unlike you, I'm not afraid of it. Maddie and Ruth share the look they shared earlier. Look, the three of us want to go places. From the day we met at Cal, that was the plan. I thought the plan was to avoid all beat poetry classes. <laughs> Honey, seriously, I know it's tricky for you. You don't have a family, and we are your family. But we can't help you unless you tell us where do you want to go. On a booze cruise. <laughs> Jess, stop, you have to tell us. Are, are you against us taking this job because it's making porn or because you don't want to be alone? Can't both things be true? I mean, I just thought we'd all be in this together. Forever? No, but as close to forever as possible, I do want to go somewhere in life. Right, where? I don't know, wherever you guys are. Maddie goes to Jessie and hugs her. We love you, baby. I know, don't call me baby. I clearly missed the window to make a less than awkward exit. <laughs> do you have an opinion? Yeah, weigh in, weirdo. You did what they wanted to do. What should they do? You know, opinions are like keys. You don't insert yours till somebody gives you permission. You, you just changed penis to key, didn't you? I did. <laughs> you know, you're all very young and it felt inappropriate. 
Well, what do you think? Do you think we should take this porn offer? I mean, now's the time to insert your penis key. Well, I think you should look at your life now and look at the life you want in the future, then draw a path. See if porn is on that path. That is some transcendental middle-aged bullcrap. No offense, it's just easy to say from your mansion with your fancy fountain that's looking real gauche during a drought, I might add. You really think my fountain is gauche? Well, who am I supposed to call? Gauche busters? Harper laughs. The girls stare. Maddie's phone rings. Oh, it's Robbie Curse. What the hell am I going to tell him? What if I make the biggest mistake of my life? Just remember, if it suddenly ended tomorrow, could you somehow adjust the fall? I have no idea what that means. It's sound advice. It's lyrics from the Jimmy Buffett song he's learning. <laughs> it's the only thing I could think of. Maddie's phone rings again. She answers. Mr. Curse, hi. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. They all watch Maddie head to the kitchen, and we cut to scene J. We're in the rowboat that night. Jesse, Maddie, Harper, and Ruth sit in their old rowboat in the Venice canals behind their house. You guys really couldn't just make a little bit of porn for a lot of bit of money. It wasn't on my path. It wasn't something I could see myself looking back and being proud of. And they only have Pellegrino there. And I only want to be somewhere if they have all of the things that I like. Me too. So was the guy mad when you turned down the offer? More surprised. I don't think he hears no a lot. When I told him, he fell off his hoverboard. But you're going to sell it to someone, right? Or do we just keep on doing this till one of us falls into fortune altruistically? Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, maybe our roles are reversed, because I managed to finish that Koala song. It's a blatant ripoff of Eminem's Lose Yourself, but the audience is ages two to seven, they will never notice. <laughs> Quit rocking the boat. I'm not rocking the boat. I made a decision you wanted from the beginning, and I'm not giving up on my dream to change the world and prove once and for all that despite the BS and rampant sexism, women can prevail in the tech industry. Great speech. I mean, quit rocking our boat. I'm trying to light this joint. Jesse lights a joint as the girls drift off in the water, lit dimly by the canal lights and the moon. End of show. Paul Parker panel, we have just 30 seconds to prove to Max Fund listeners that we know what the F we're talking about when it comes to pop culture. All right, you guys, let's go. Famous Chris's. Walk-in. Christofferson. Hemsworth. Karen, what's the most iconic lesbian snack? The wings at Hooters. The answer is fried green tomatoes. Margaret, what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe missing? <laughs> My interest. Winter, name someone who will EGOT in your lifetime. Ike Barinholtz. That's beautiful. Top gear or top model? Sadly, I have to say top gear. The clear answer is top chef. But top model taught us about smizing. Pop Rocket, smart takes on everything. Catch us every Friday on Maximum Fun. All right, I'm here with Morgan Murphy. What? I th I'm going to start this with, with what I think should be now a regular feature, which is when I tell you my favorite joke. Okay. My favorite joke was when it's Jesse's response. I guess Ruth says, if she wins, I'll die, talking about the other doctor. And just says, if you do, tell my mom in heaven how good I've gotten at closing the refrigerator. <laughs> that was, I love that joke. I lo it says so much in that one joke. So anyway... Just want to start. Oh, I, I thank you. I think that uh, you know, I always I like the dead mom jokes as well, and they're not always the biggest hit. That one was just so the... sweet. Like, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. what she wants to, that's what she wants to tell yeah, her yeah, dead yeah. mom. Like, I, and it just says it's just such a mom thing. Yeah, Close the refrigerator. I really love that. Thank um, you. So we talked a little bit before, but we didn't talk that much. I want to sort of start 
by so this was a blog. Well, well yeah. How much did that? Did you take just the title from that, or was I mean, more... essentially the title. I think the idea of like, you know, smart nerdy women, and you know the the. It you know I, I I would say that I took everything from the blog if I did and I you know I didn't but I think that it was uh, informative um, and especially helpful with like the tech characters and stuff. But um, so what was that blog? Because I'm not familiar with the blog. So what's the um, name? Well, it was uh, uh, Jen Friel, a talk nerdy to me lover. It was like a you know like a kind of a, a cool sexy nerdy blog thing. But like I, Jerry Bruckheimer had bought it. And I was um, writing on Two Broke Girls for at Warner Brothers, and basically kind of got asked like, hey, there's a blog and there's a title and it's Jerry Bruckheimer and all stuff, but basically also like a, a female Big Bang with some, something in that world. It was all very general. And then Bill Rubel, um, who was also over there, uh, he was sort of teamed up with me to supervise me because I had written like, um, I think one pilot under that like studio system before and um, we kind of generated this I said well this is what I've, I've always wanted to write like a female ensemble um, sort of similar to my friends uh, a little a little smarter at times a little dumber at times but pretty much my friends and Bill helped me like you know uh, I mean you know it was an integral part of like helping me figure out how to kind of take what I wanted to do, what they wanted, and make it a thing. So t let's talk a little bit, because I'm curious about that relationship, yeah. having supervised and done. You yeah. didn't co-write. You didn't write it together. No, but he, I mean, he, he you know, the, so. the, I think at the end of the day, it was like, I, I would, if someone said, oh, you wrote everything, i go, no, I, Bill and I wrote it. Like, he, you know, I wrote it, but he shaped it and formed it, and certainly there's parts of it that, you know, uh, that he did right can I say that like literally uh but um but yeah it's like I'm super it's funny because I never thought I'd get to a place I'm supervising something for the first time right now and I'm like oh it's it's actually quite fun like I always felt like I was uh I don't know I always felt like I had like too many questions and stuff and now I'm like no have more questions for me this is you know mm -hmm. sort of thrilling but it was cool I mean he's the best and um yeah, he just kind of, I I think at that time too, I was very much stuck in like not understanding the purpose of certain notes, kind of just from a perspective of like, but it's cool and it's funny and why does it matter? And there are notes that, that sort of matter and I learned that always at the end. Like I always at the end I go, okay, if those notes helped and Bill was very much a big part of like helping me figure out how to take their notes. Right. Can you, know? you remember any of them having just heard it? Did any of you have... I think the idea of like, to me, I never get that invested in like, well, can this thing be happening at the beginning that they resolve at the end, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, I'm generalizing it a lot, but I think I remember like not bringing up the boat in the beginning or something. And I was like, oh, it's just so obvious there's a boat. Like it's so, to me, it gets so clear. And then I go, oh no, you kind of want to know about those things. You want to get invested in, in, you know, even if it's a small story element, but I tend to push back at that in the beginning of this process because I go like, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta feel and I know what it is. And then you go, okay, there's a purpose for some of these. Right, there is something satisfying about a setup 
and a payoff. Yes, <laughs> yes. But as when you're the writer, it's like even when I watch stuff, I go, "Oh, there's that thing. I'm, there's that wait, thing, and then that for thing." It to pay off. You, you, yeah. You recognize something. So there's planted. part of you that wants to fight against whatever you think that like structure is that's predictable, and then you realize like, "Oh no, people watching at home like want to be invested and want to be, you know." Unfortunately, nothing I've written has played at home in people's <laughs> homes <laughs> but those theoretical people at home yeah those theoretical people at home would love all the pilots that are sitting in my office right now <laughs> to have really satisfying yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 um so the characters were those characters were any, were any of them from the blog were they all based on friends of yours were they characters that that you sort of brought and then you and bill Fine um, together. Or it what? was a combination of factors. I, I, VR was sort of um, at like the. I know it's still seems like the beginning or whatever, but VR was very much being discussed as like the big next thing, and so I knew that I wanted that to be a part of it, and I knew I wanted it not to be all like science related nerd. Like there had to be somebody there, like a Jesse, who was a little earthier um so she was sort of more based on me if I could play any instrument which I can't <laughs> or sing which I can't um and uh and yeah and then there were people like I mean like Ruth like honestly I you know Ali Wong's a friend an old friend and like Aparna and Ancherla and there are people in my life always and I admit this where I you know it, it it's not that I like steal their personality but I I just, because I'm around a lot of comedians, I tend to imagine people, you know, slip them into characters a little bit. Like, like, not write the character, but like, I don't know, like, to me, like, Ruth was always a, a version of Allie, and, you know, I mean, we talked, we, I think in the reading, obviously, um, Aparna uh, played Jesse, but in the writing of it, I was like, oh, she'd be Harper, I thought Jessica Williams, it was just a whole, I had a whole, I had it all mapped out in my head, which I always do, and it never ends up being those people, but, um, but yeah, so it was like based on people I knew, like in school and stuff, and these, you know, and I went to, also went to like VR um, conventions and stuff, and talked to a lot of like, there's like tech girl groups, and um, talked to a few people, and uh it's a cool scene. I'm like, I was very, got very into like the scene, but I also just, I love the idea of, of like nerds talking about things confidently. And it's always like, I always say about like Frasier is like, you don't, it, it was it's such a popular show and oddly like this esoteric kind of weird wordy show. And you go like, no, you don't have to know what they're talking about. You only have to know that they know what they're talking about. Right. And that's how I feel about, like, once you're, it's actually, to me, like, it was like, how do you make these people, like, impressive? And it's like, oh, I want to not know what they're saying sometimes, but truly believe that they do. Right. So. Ruth's diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the haptic talk and and all that. Yeah, that's like, it's all like, it's funny, because to me, like, that's all like my, my, I have a lot of musician friends talking about gear all the time, is gear talk, gear talk, gear talk, gear talk. And I find it fascinating. I don't know what they're talking about. But I like the, you know, the details of it. Yeah. Like the literal language of it. So Ali Wong, we t- 
So you pitched some of these people we're talking about. I did. I mean, this was a number of years ago during... Actually, it's funny because when people said shmoney in the... uh, It's shmoney, which I need to be clear that... I I just need people to understand that I know it's shmoney. It was was a Bobby Shmurda song came out. It was the shmoney dance was big. It was a different era in the world. Um, and I had pitched, uh, it was pre, you know, sort of, uh, Allie hadn't done her, her first big special yet that, that sort of like really I thought catapulted her and, um, Aparna was somebody I knew from like some shows and festivals. And so, yeah, when I went in and said these, this is like my map, this is my kind of layout of who I want it to be. It was like. I think at the time it was like Aubrey Plaza, or maybe even also the girl from Beautiful, the Carol King musical, who was just so phenomenal for Jesse and uh, and Jessica Williams and Aparna and Allie. And somebody uh, was like, uh, more than somebody, was like, uh, basically just said, we don't know who Aparna or Allie are. And you gotta replace their pictures with famous, like famous people. And I, it's like that's the problem too of being a comic. I think when you are sort of in the, you know, in the trenches with like so many talented performers. And I don't personally, my goal is not to like be on TV, but I see people all the time who do want to be on TV and should be on TV. And then I go in and I'm like, these people. And then they're like, eh, we don't know. And then two years later, they're like, hey, do you have a show for uh, anybody that you've pitched a show for before? And I'm like, it's just, it gets very, it gets very frustrating. But I also understand that the president of some company is not going to be aware of like who the hot up and coming comedians are. Um, But I wish, you know, now I feel like they, like people listen to me a little more. But I also had no... They didn't know who I was. Right. Let alone the people I was and, recommending. And I guess at that point... So you, <coughs> when you were pitching <coughs> the show, at this point where you're talking about Ali and Aparna, yeah. were you literally bringing in headshots to sort of lay out to help people visualize? Yes. this is something I've done in pitches yes. sometimes. Yeah. So and that was... That was... It, in my head, it, it, the picture didn't need to be a famous person. It was just like, these are the people I'm imagining for it. So they wanted, it was really the picture. It was really the selling point, but I was like. Right, but, and I, and I think maybe their thing, because how that often works is yeah. people put down a picture of Melissa McCarthy and Zach Galifianakis and, and hugely famous people that you would never right. get, just so you can kind of have a, to, to Which give I them get. an idea yeah. I, yeah. and that maybe down the road when it comes to Except, casting, yeah. you bring in Ali Wong if they don't know her. But you're right. Yeah. You, in your mind, this was completely. You knew these people. I knew are, these people, kill, and, and this also, was realistic. I wasn't could, pitching like cast. it wasn't like I went in going. It's a girl who looks like a Parna Nancherla, <laughs> right. and a girl who looks like Ali Wong. It wasn't. I wasn't pitching them a physical type. I was like, no, this is a specific personality. This is a specific personality. These are hilarious people who could do this. So. Yeah, it was weird. It went like backwards. It was like, no, just show them a person they recognize. Right. <laughs> it was like, okay. Um, so these, when I think about Ruth, for yeah. instance, so you're saying you had Ali Wong in mm-hmm. mind. Um, because she's, all these characters have interesting combinations of traits. You know, she's the hard-driving doctor, super competitive, who's also partying at yeah. Soho House. And... Uh, has very specific taste in porn and has these, yeah. you know, so they're not, 
um, which is great. They're not just straight. Ahead. They're not just this one thing. Now, does that yeah. come about from you just very deliberately trying it, or because you're basing it on real people who? I'm basing it on having... like my friends and my generation of friends who. It's funny because sometimes you hear people say stuff like even like the slang or even like ironic, like stuff where you go, oh, that's not how I say it with my friends, you know. But but yeah, I all of my best friends in the world I think are very very smart people who in moments especially of like friendship and like intimacy say very dumb stupid things at times and asides and sort of vernacular that they wouldn't normally use and stuff and um, I think sometimes I write that and I imagine it being more of like a throwaway and then I hear it and I go oh that that's a, I would take out two of those um, but yeah, even like, I mean, my, my best friend right now, like we'll talk, like I'll say something professionally that happened and I had to do this. And I spoke to like, if I say like, oh, I got off the phone with my lawyer and something good happened, she'd be like, you know, like, get it girl. Like all my, all my best friends are ultimately very silly when they're not being very smart. And I think that's what I wanted to show was like, you know, I think like Harper to me is the only real example of someone who doesn't get super super silly because I do think there's like a I wanted to intentionally have somebody like a little bit on the spectrum but just somebody who's being protected by her friends and her sister and stuff but otherwise like you can be smart and also you know I think I'm, I don't think I'm a big idiot, but I also know like in like three weeks, I'm going to see the Backstreet Boys for my birthday. You know what I mean? Like right. that's. Right. It's the great thing about the characters is yeah. a lot of people trying to write a female Big Bang would have just gone in this sort of one dimensional way. But these women all felt more like real people and it made their, their friendships felt real. Um, they, they didn't fit so perfectly together, but friends rarely do. So, yeah. So that, uh, I think the sweetness of their relationships, yes, that they are protective of Harper, who is a little bit on the spectrum, and Jesse, who they get is this, you know, she has no family. Yeah. And even though she pushes back against all the emotion, you know, th that feeling that she's so clear just wants to be with her friends yeah um, is is really sweet yeah it's like the friendship stuff I feel like should always if it's gonna look anything like my friendships like that part is like almost infantile right do you know what I mean like when you're back with like your old my best friend like again my friend from college and like the girl I'm gonna see bachelor but like it's it's like oh there are no other there's nobody else around now we can be like children with each other and I think there's something about like female friendships especially that just let you like let go of you know it it's like the I guess the example would be like you do something really smart and good and great and then celebrate with like mimosas do you know what I mean like it's that weird combination of like Big Bang and Sex in the City <laughs> right um I should say in the porn stuff my 11 year old boy and girl twins were in the audience and I was so I was saying they're reading like gangbang interracial VR solo. That was a little rough for me, but I, I did have to like tone it down. But I, to me, it was just like it's funny too because obviously people you have to imagine them watching all right. this fed onto a TV, like you know the proscenium of like the multicam and stuff. And I think it's all visually like 
uh, you know, I, I don't know. I who knows how that this stuff plays, but. Um, but yeah, I just liked the idea of someone having to make porn who had never had sex, which right. like having to mathematically learn. And I think that used to be longer. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> there were the a stuff, few more details. The stuff we love to yeah. write. Um, but then you made it. There's a double dilemma, right? There's so there's it's the moral dilemma of are we going to make porn, and right. then the secondary dilemma, which is it would also involve moving. Moving, which yeah, I don't know. It, moving was not always in the in the in the script and you know to me I felt like you could sort of tell but I mean that's you know that's the nature of hearing something for the first time and looking at like I honestly I think I looked at like seven drafts before and I was just like you know what? I'm just gonna let this let this be we're because we talked a little bit about the two different openings yeah and I realized if you're doing something incredibly hard in that opening scene because you're introducing four characters right. at the same time right um, and I can imagine I only read two drafts but the thing I remember being most different about those two yeah. drafts was that you just it was a different opening conversation yeah it was, was like philosophers the, the first or, yeah, or, or writers yeah, 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 or writers yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it was more I think just selling. Oh, these are nerdy, very literate, highly literate, but, right? But still, you know, they're they're talking about Balzac, yeah. but they're making a Balzac joke. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that combination. Yeah. But was that one of the things that ended up get it changing each draft? I can't remember of- how that changed, but I definitely know that was like a big. Um, the one that ended up in the script was like very Bill Rubel. Uh, 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 Orchestra. I don't know. It's funny because I just remember him having sort of. uh, We had gone pretty deep with one cold open, and then, you know, sometimes when someone's supervising you, I feel like a big job of theirs is like it's not you don't know yet, like how easy it is to let things go, you know, like in the beginning when you just because every when you're doing this process for the first few times, I think you're just like, but that's a but that's my that's my favorite, and you don't. And I think a big part of like having a supervisor is having someone who's done it a lot more than you have, who's like prepares you and goes like, you don't know it till later and in hindsight, but like you're like, oh, he was right about that cut. It's like being right about notes and stuff. It just like, I I was just too uh, attached right. to certain things, including a stupid cold open that wasn't working. You know? Yeah, I always have to ask myself am I attached or am I lazy yeah do I just not feel like writing another one because I already wrote this one yeah <laughs> or, or do they're I like think this one is really perfect and yeah why should I write it or one? they want you to you know cut the call and you're like but there's but the joke and the thing you want me to cut is so much better than the whole of the thing you want me to add yeah. and then you look back and you go oh, the joke didn't matter the thing mattered right and, but sometimes also, I have callbacks and it pays off later. Yeah. And now you're saying, oh, just change this, but you're not realizing I'm changing yes. so many more things. And those are going to be harder because, especially if exposition is coming out in a joke. Yeah. And then also, I the whole process is, in this case, was, you know, Warner Brothers, CBS, Bill, and Bruckheimer's company. All right. So it was like, I was just, I... What Bill was so incredible at, honestly, was like keeping me alive during the entire process. Like I was like, I don't, I can't do it again. I can't do another round of notes at the same. Sure. I can't do. Like I just it's a big part of was the job. spiraling. Yeah, you know. And then now I'm like, you know, literally telling 
this really nice young girl. I'm like, it's fine. It's not going to matter. Like I'm just doing, I beat exactly who I needed years ago. Um, did you always, was the plan always to introduce all four of them at once? Um, as far as I remember, yes. I mean, we really liked the idea of kind of, um, even though obviously it's been done, but that, you know, uh, reservoir dog style, um, you know, like I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to see them all walking somewhere together. Um, and sort of this is the family that we're gonna you know follow. This is our gang, yeah. Basically, like a very non non intimidating gang. And I'm really uh, like I visualize stuff when I write it. So like in my head, I'm like already like going okay. And then this literally like I fought for a dog to run across a scene in a pilot this year. Like it was like they like didn't want to pay to get this dog. And I was like, there needs to be a dog. Like I get really obsessed with like a little. <laughs> A little moment in the background and stuff, so... Yeah, that, which... There was one, which I think I didn't sell well enough in stage direction. The, yeah. the In the hospital, when the woman gets... The pregnant woman gets oh, the wheeled pregnant, in, yeah, and yeah. the woman with the baby yeah. like, gets wheeled back out. I could tell that was a free it's visual silly. joke, just... Yeah, no, I I, I, did, I shot a pilot this year, and it was supposed to be take place in Mexico, and obviously it was uh, in Burbank. Uh, and uh, and so I, you know, I just wanted a little... A little you know, a little mutt to run across the, the you know, the uh, the dirt road during just a pan. And at one point they were like, you're not going to get the dog. And I was like, I'm getting the dog. Like, I was like, I need the dog. And you got it? I got the dog. And they, everyone was very excited about the dog. It was, sure. it was, uh, it was a big moment. It was a big win. Yeah. Who's, who's fighting you on the dog? People I know. love, people love I know. Dog. But even like um, in the cold open, like the, the whipped cream mustache to me is like a very mm-hmm. like, like I, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to like like everybody. Awkwardness and, yeah. awkwardness it, and also like I drink a lot of hot chocolate. Sure, so weird. Yeah. The, it's, no, I think it's, it's really well done. It's one of those things that I point out just because I don't think someone who's not done it doesn't realize how difficult that is to do because in a sitcom you can't start really laughing until you know who the characters are until yeah. you have a sense of okay this is their character you know now I once I get that character I can start laughing at their sort of joke realm yeah and doing that for four people right away and having to have them yeah. find a topic that can be revealing of all yeah. of their characters all at once and I'm sure you know for radio or for the podcast audience it's going to be tricky to sort yeah. of differentiate those four people luckily so, you know, a part yeah I remember that very being like very ultimately being like very Bill Bill influence I think it was because he he was we were talking about Harry Potter and I personally haven't like I'm like a Harry Potter person so I felt almost like well I don't know about Harry Potter so this feels like a forced Ref- and then, you know, he was right, of course. Right. Because experience and, you know, those things. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, who knew that people who were, like, smarter and older and had more experience uh, could actually help? <laughs> yeah, no. Instead, they're usually just forced into retirement. Um, but that it's the kind of scene where episode six is just, is great and is easy, you know, because mm-hmm. at that point, you know the characters yeah. and we're enjoying their takes on whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's often the thing where you look back, I was, oh yeah, you look back at the Friends pilot and it seems so amazing because you are bringing so much to it yes. from the 
episode, many episodes you saw after, but doing that first one, yeah, where we're just meeting people, and we don't know how. There to are certain pilots them. where, like, I just go like the Wings pilot. I love. Like, there are certain <laughs> like pilots that I just that stick out to me where I go like, oh, I'll watch these people do stuff for a long time yeah, now because they're how they're introduced yeah. and and that's what makes pilots so hard especially mm-hmm. you know in an ensemble where you're trying to meet this group of people yeah. all at once so what what happened um at the end of this <laughs> process do you remember? honestly i don't rem- i honestly don't remember how it all i don't remember like how things don't work out i just know they didn't and <coughs> excuse me you have no specific memory of the call of whether it felt like oh we're, we're I think it really was, in there it was we've got those, a good shot yeah it was I was getting those good shot kind of things <laughs> and you know um, and obviously I was you know going okay CBS Jerry Bruckheim alright like I, there are forces heavier than me on this and I hope they can I didn't know I didn't, honestly I still don't know how how it works when they pick it up because they haven't picked up my thing yet, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I remember being sad. Uh, it feels like there's like a cyclical pattern now where I can like you know someone will be like, hey, come out in December, and I'm like, that's when I'm crazy, and they're like, come out in January, I go, that's when I'm sad. <laughs> like I like know my pattern for the year, um, and that was kind of the beginning of that. Honestly, it was like throwing myself into something and then being told no, and then realizing that that wasn't the end of the world. It's like a very long path. It yeah. seems to take the whole year and then you do it again. And Yeah, I think it does, that grieving period gets shorter um, is the only thing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what be... I mean by the sort of the, in retrospect, all the like notes and the cuts and things that you that you are so precious about that you ultimately, you know, kind of realize like, I, oh yeah, I needed somebody who's done this longer to remind me that this is okay, and then ultimately you'll be the person who doesn't care anymore either. And then it's like you know, I don't know. It's 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 not even about not caring. It's about caring so much that you're like that you think what you're doing is special and interesting, and then you know. I don't know if it's that because I think you still think what you're doing is, but it's fighting for th- it's it's a perspective, right? It's what it's which battles are truly important yeah. and. And which are and being really clear. Okay, if we if we if I take this note, if I cross this line, then it's no longer the thing that even interested me right. in writing this. But changing the cold open, the jokes in the cold open, is, yeah. isn't that letting go of jokes was probably a huge like overall lesson in like any kind of script writing for me. It's too, like right? yeah, and also through. like to me, I'm like, well, that scene's worth it because of that one joke, and that was a. Uh, it wasn't even something that I had to abandon. It's just something you had to like relook at and go, okay, I'm being, you know, I'm being a little bit ridiculous here. Like this, you know, I, I sometimes have to be reminded when the story is more important. Um, but again, like you were pointing out the, the part about them moving as well. I was like, to me, that's like a little bit extra and that wasn't something I needed, but you know, it, yeah, it all, it's a balance. And it's, it's a, also it's tough a, because what that got you was, Jesse's fear of abandonment, right? Um, which was a really sweet level. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, I'd have to like hear. It's funny because I'm not gonna hear it again, but I have, I'd have to hear it again. Like, it, it it's a kind of such a cool thing to to get to hear it uh, cold like that because I immediately knew like three things that I would change 
they weren't big. It was just like, oh, pull two of those out and pull one of those out, you know, and just balance it. Right. Um, which I wish I could go do now. <laughs> well, I, do you think there's still this this show still doesn't exist? I mean, obviously no, this that's, show. Yeah, it's, sho- it's shocking to me, actually. Exist, which feels strange, right? Like it this... feels very strange, <laughs> um, especially because I feel like I've been telling somebody in a room in a suit like about a group of four weird girls who live together since I was part of four weird girls who live together. And it kind of went from like, I mean, even honestly back in like earlier, like Comedy Central, it's like they just legitimately didn't want female driven stuff. So it was like, okay, well then, then I'm not going to get it on that way. And then you're like, you finally kind of get to a place where, oh, they want a girl thing and they want it to be like this. And you're like, I have, I know that, I know those girls. And then they're like, oh, still no. So I don't, I mean, honestly, if, if, if this show came out, it was like somebody else's show. I kind of, I would be excited. I wouldn't be like jealous. Like I want something like this to exist. I hope. Yeah. It um, does seem, I mean, there's been, obviously there's two broke girls. There was Broad yeah. City. There was these sort of, uh, buddy comedies, yeah. you know, two, Four-handers or two-handers, yeah. whatever you want to call them. Um, and but they're but they're not this uh, kind of on. Yeah, I lived so. with again like four girls in college, like on the sort of Westchester Inglewood border. It was like it was more theater nerds, which actually I talked about when I was kind of working on this, which was like a different kind of nerd, but still specific. Where it's like oddballs, and we would drink you know beer out of like wine glasses and sit in. Uh, and sit in um, on our little patio uh, in chairs from a college production of uh, Steel Magnolias. <laughs> so it was like um, it was a barbershop, you know, I mean, our salon chairs, and like all those little things that you do when you're sort of like struggling and different, and you're not talking about boys all day. It's like to me, that's a rich world that I haven't quite seen. Yeah. I've seen, again, in Broad City and stuff, like, in duos, but not, like, just a house of, a house of pajamas, you know, yeah. basically. I think you have to just keep pitching it. <laughs> keep Well, keep I have to call my friend, uh, until, Mr. Bruckheimer. Yeah. And, and say, hey. Yeah, because yeah, I think, I do think it's a show that oh. people would be excited about. Well, this was great. And oh, thank th- you. Thank you. Was for I the worst? Reading. You were. Are we yeah. going to start now? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to roll on this. Thanks, Morgan. That's our show for this month. Thanks again to Ben Blacker and Noah Findling. Thanks to everyone at Dynasty Typewriter. Just uh, subscribe, why don't you, to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app or Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. We really don't want you to miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating. Um, follow us on Twitter, Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. You'll find out about all the live shows and other news. Uh, like I said, some festivals coming up. Uh, Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks so much for listening.